Last week, we, we covered a section of Romans that dealt with the condition of creation. We heard how that the mighty mountains quake under the heavy weight of the burden of sin and how that all of creation longs for the day when the promise of God will finally come to pass and everything will be restored back to God's original purpose for creation. We, we saw a dramatic illustration of the weight of sin, of the impact of sin in the, in the way that nature itself, creation itself reacts to the weight of sin and how that creation groans and how that creation longs for the day when it will be set free from the impact of sin. And we, we ended that passage with the realization that we share a common hope with creation, that, that hope that creation has that God's promise will eventually come to pass. We, we share that hope with creation. And this morning, we will pick that theme back up again as we talk about the nature of our hope. I had hoped this morning to get all the way through verse 30 and kind of conclude this section, but I'm not going to make it. Amen? <clears throat> Just going to get as far as the Spirit will let me go, and then we're going to quit. Amen? Amen. But this is where we are. We're going to read Romans 8. Verses 24 through 26. Verses 24 through 26. If you have your Bible, read with me. It says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we knew not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I wanna, I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to go back to verse 24. I'll read it again, then we'll kind of uh, break it down as we go this morning. It says, For we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? So inasmuch as we have been delivered from the realm of sin, that's what we've talked about all the way through the first portion of the book of Romans, that God has, in saving us, he has delivered us from the realm of sin. We're, we've been removed from out from under the control and the bondage of sin. Sin had dominion over us. Sin had authority over us. Sin ruled us, but sin no longer rules us. God has delivered us. Amen. His blood has cleansed us, and His indwelling Spirit has made us free from the dominion of sin. However... Until the day that we finally make heaven our home, we have to contend with our flesh. We must resist the sin nature. We, we must continually work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Philippians 2 and 12. you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a, th this process that we're going through. We are saved. But our salvation is based on hope. 
It's based on the fact that we have a promise that he who has begun a good work in us is well able to finish that which he has begun, but he's not finished with it yet. Amen? We are saved in the sense that we have been delivered from sin. We've been delivered from sin's dominion. But we are not yet saved in the sense that we have not yet entered into heaven. We have not yet heard the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're on a journey in between here and there. We're making our way to heaven and we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. So there's something there that we have in common with creation. Until the day that we hear that final statement of acceptance from God. Until the day that God looks at us and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Until the day when heaven's gate closes shut behind us. Uh, we are saved in hope. We're saved, the King James says, by hope, amen. We are saved uh, in, on the basis of hope. We're striving for something that we have not yet obtained, amen. We've been delivered from sin, but we haven't yet made it to heaven. So we have in common with creation the fact that we have a hope uh, that we're living for. We have a hope that we are striving for. And the, the text of last week's lesson told us that creation is frustrated. It groans and it longs for the day when it will finally be restored to the state that it was in before sin entered the world. It, it is a frustrated condition of, of knowing what it was made for, knowing what it could be, and not being able yet to realize it. And likewise, we, we live in that place in between, uh, amen, the day that he redeemed us uh, and the day that we'll be transformed to be like him. We live in that, that passage of time in between the day that he washed us in his blood and delivered us from the dominion of sin and the day that he's going to deliver us from this body of death. Amen. We're looking forward to a promise. We're, we're looking forward to a hope that is somewhere in our future. We're saved in hope. Amen. The hope that we too will one day be delivered from this carnal fleshly body that one of these days he is going to change us uh, we're going to be transformed uh, the scripture said into his likeness uh, amen we're living for that day uh, amen we're living for that hour we're living for that moment uh, and that hope is what we cling to that hope is what compels us from where we are now to where he has called us to be. That, that hope is a major part of our salvation, uh, and it always has been. We, we knew from the very beginning, we knew from the moment that we confessed our sins in repentance and that we came to him uh, and sought salvation, we knew from the beginning that we were reaching for a reward that was beyond our grasp. We were reaching for a destination, a goal that was beyond this present life. Amen? It was the hope of a future with God that compelled us to forsake this present world 
and begin a journey towards that promise that is yet in our future, that, that promise that remains unseen. Amen? But the very Spirit of God that we were filled with, the Holy Ghost that, that indwells us, that, that, that we were baptized with, that Holy Ghost fills us with hope and expectation uh, for that which is unseen because it's revealed it to us. We, we've had a taste of it. We, we've not yet seen the promise. We, we've not yet experienced the final reward. We've not, we, we don't have, the eye hath not seen and the ear hath not heard, heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God is willing to do for those that will wait on him. Amen. Heaven is beyond our understanding. It's beyond our grasp. It's beyond the, our, our, the ability of our comprehension. Uh, but we have tasted of the goodness of the first fruits of heaven in the Holy Ghost. When he filled us with the Spirit, we got a little taste. Just what the Scripture called the first fruit of what it's going to be like. What it's, what it's going to be uh, to be in his presence. To dwell with him. To fellowship with him. Amen. To be in, with him for all of eternity. And that experience, that, that first fruit, that indwelling spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, that compels us to patiently wait in hope for the better thing that God has called us to. So even as creation stands on its tiptoes, we use that language from last week, creation stands on, it t- on its tiptoes in anticipation of the day when God will finally bring his promise to pass. So then we also stand on our tiptoes in eager anticipation of what God is going to do in our lives, that hope is an inherent part of our salvation. So Paul says we're saved by hope. Amen. Let me say this about biblical hope. It is not a fruitless kind of yearning for some fanciful dream. Biblical hope is firmly rooted and grounded in the promise of God. It's based on the forever settled word of God. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. It's not talking about some random compulsion that I come up with that, that I hope that I can achieve. But it's, it's talking about something that is settled. It is, it, it, is, it, is, it is founded on the Word of God. It is the settled belief that God will bring His promise to pass at some point in my future. And if we'll patiently wait, if we will patiently endure until the fullness of his time has come, God's going to bring it to pass. Amen? So hope has a future tense posture. It is, it's always striving for that which has not yet been realized, that which has not yet come to pass, but which will certainly come to pass in God's time. In that regard, it's a settled thing. There's, there's no question of what God will do. The only question is, when will God do it? 
Creation doesn't wonder if God is going to restore it. Creation knows the day is coming that God will restore it. Creation instead leans forward in anticipation of that moment. That's hope. Amen. We have a promise. We will be delivered from this world. We have a promise. One day we're going to be with him forever. We have a promise that one of these days we're going to live in heaven. We're going to walk on streets of gold. We're going to be in his presence continually. And if we'll hang on long enough, if we'll just hold out, if we will do what, 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 what we can do just to hang on to that hope, he's going to do what he said he would do. Amen. I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come to pass yet. I haven't, I haven't experienced it yet, but I have full confidence that God will do what God said that he would do. That's the source of my hope. Amen. And it is hope that keeps us through the trying times in our lives. It is, it is hope that keeps us when everything that we can see is contrary to that which we hope in. When everything around us opposes us, when everything around us seems to defy us, the hope that we have is what keeps us. Uh, it's, what, it's what compels us. We have to remind ourselves uh, that even though our hope is unseen, it is not unsettled. Amen. Even though it hasn't yet come to pass, it is still yet coming to pass. Paul has reminded us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, amen. Our hope is unseen. It, it, it's something that we can't look around us and measure. We, we can't see it and we can't, we can't define it and we can't describe it. We are the heirs of a promise of God that even though we've not yet fully possessed it, we, we have a hope that he's going to bring it to pass. We're like the shepherd boy David who kept his father's sheep with the anointing of a king on his life. You know, the prophet comes and knocks on Jesse's door and says, bring me your boys. And Jesse gathers together the brood, but he leaves out the youngest. He doesn't matter. He's just the menial shepherd boy on the back 40 keeping the sheep. He brings the strong ones. He brings those with all the skill and talent. And you know the story as well as I do. The prophet goes one by one. And, and he doesn't know yet who it is that God has called him to join. He just knows that when I, when I look on him, God's going to speak to me. And I, I'm going to know this is the one. And so he, he calls those boys up one by one. And they, they stand before him. And I'm sure Jesse, uh, I'm sure Jesse tells all their attributes. You know, he, he, he's the strongest guy in three counties. Amen. He, he's the fastest runner. He's whatever it is. And he, he gives the attributes uh, that are kingly attributes. He gives the characteristics that you would expect of a king and each each one comes before the prophet and each one is fully qualified to be a king but every time the man stands before the prophet the Lord doesn't speak and so the prophet just keeps saying bring another one bring another one Bring it. Finally, he gets to the end of the line, and Jesse's brought all of his sons, and Samuel says, surely you have another son. And somewhere on the back 40, there's a little boy named David, 
Amen. And Jesse hasn't even thought about David. He hasn't even considered David. But when he brings David before the prophet, the Lord moves on the prophet's heart and God says, this is the man. This is the one. This is a man after my own heart. Uh, he's not a man that's a king like men think of kings. He's not uh, of great stature. He's not the fastest one in the bunch. He, he's not the, the, the most eloquent in speech. Uh, but he is the man uh, who has sought my heart. And so the prophet takes the anointing oil, and it's, it's not, you know, when we anoint you, I put a little on my fingertip, and I, I rub it on your forehead. And we, but the, when the prophet anoints him, it's not just a little. He takes the bottle, and he, he opens it up, and he pours it over David until it runs down the sides of his face and off of his hair, and, his hair and it's dripping off of his nose, and it's all over his garment. It, it's a king's anointing. And you would expect... That from that moment forward, everything would change. But it doesn't. He goes right back to daddy's field. And he goes right back to keeping the sheep. And he goes right back out there where he will face a lion and he will face a bear and these, these predators will come and, and he'll have to defend his daddy's sheep. He's out there in among the, she, she, the sheep and the, and the sheepfold and, and the dung and, and, the, and the dirt and the grit and the grime uh, wearing a king's anointing on his life. You know, sometimes we think that uh, God's called me to better things and I ought to be able to step up and realize them. Uh, when, God, right, when God speaks something in my heart, it just, it just ought to be, amen. That's not the way it always is, amen. That's rarely the way it is. The earth waits, creation waits, and, and groans and longs for the promise of God to come to pass. David stands uh, in a field somewhere and has every opportunity, amen, to doubt God, every opportunity. To, to doubt the, the anointing that's on his life. He has every opportunity to say, Lord, I thought it would be different than this. We're just like David. We've been called to a hope that we have not yet realized. We've been called to a hope that is beyond the place where we're living right now. We've been anointed. We, we've tasted the first fruits. We, we know what it is to feel that anointing flow through our lives. We know what it is to, to get a taste of what it's like uh, to be in that place with Him. But we have not yet arrived. We toil and we labor under the hot sun against what seems like endless opposition as we wait for the day, as we wait for the moment when God will bring his promise to pass. I could preach all day long on David because the waiting doesn't end when he leaves the, the sheepfold. The way David goes and wins his arguably the greatest victory he will win in his entire life when he fights a Goliath. And you would think then God catapults him to the throne. But no, amen, God puts him in a very tenuous situation where, where Saul despises him, where Saul hates him, where twice his king tries to murder him before finally he has to flee for his life. And, and Saul spends the rest of his life pursuing David. We wait. We hope. And we know. That when God's time comes, God's going to do what God said that he would do.
David has to have the confidence in a king's anointing to know the God that called me to king, be king, will make me to be king when his time comes. That's why whenever Saul enters the cave where David is, uh, amen, and David could have taken his life, and David could have usurped the throne, and David could have claimed it on his own. That's why David has the fortitude not to kill Saul, not to take his life, not to lay his hand on God's anointed, because David understands if I get that throne, it's not going to be because of something I did. It's going to be because of something God did, because God's the one that laid his anointing on me and so he waits and he hopes for that day that is yet to come it's the hope that sustains us we have confidence that the promise that we long for will eventually come to pass if we'll only hang on if we'll only wait patiently on God. God's going to do what he said he would do. That's the nature of hope. It is unseen. If we could see it, if we could experience it here and now, then there'd be no need for hope. Hope is what sustains us between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. We have to remind ourselves that the unseen nature of hope is not a, a detriment. It's what makes hope what it is. Amen. Hope is hope because it's not seen. Hope is hope because it's somewhere out in the future. If we could see it, we wouldn't have any reason to hope for it. Amen. If we're not careful, we let the frustrations and difficulties of this life overwhelm us and cause us to lose sight of the promise of God, that's when hope rises up. That's when hope comes up inside of us uh, and says, I, I may not be able to see it. Uh, I may not be able to understand it. Uh, I may not be able to comprehend it. Uh, but I just believe uh, that God is going to bring me through. Uh, I just believe uh, that God is going to deliver me. I just believe that the same God that spoke it, the same God that declared it is going to bring it to pass. That's hope. It's not based on reality. It's not based on what I can see. It believes in what I cannot see. It believes in the goodness of God when it can't see the goodness of God. It believes in the provision of God when it can't find the provision of God. It believes in the blessing of God when there seems to be no blessing anywhere around. That's hope. Verse 25 says, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Patience is the product of hope. It's what hope produces in our lives. But And I, I know I, I kind of ended with this thought last week, and if you'll allow me just to revisit it for a moment. Biblical, patient, biblical patience is not tame. As the word might imply to us, we, we tend to think of, of patience as a passive waiting. Just, oh, I'm going to sit around and twiddle my thumbs and wait for God to finally show up and do what God said he would do. That's, that's the way we, we perceive patience as, as that, 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 that just passive state of waiting for God to finally do what God said that he would do. But that's not biblical patience. 
Biblical patience is an active confrontation of everything that would seek to rob us of our hope. Biblical patience, that that word suggests the connotation of bearing up under intense pressure. It's the, the idea that I'm going to resist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back against those things that push against my hope. I, I'm gonna, it's, a, it's a word that speaks of steadfastness and, and perseverance. It's an active resistance against the despair that would rob you of your hope. It's not just a passive sitting back and saying, well, one of these days God will. It's saying, I believe. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to Satan, uh, you can point out all the stuff around me that's going wrong. Uh, you can point out all the stuff around me that, 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 that is contrary to my promise, uh, but I'm going to hold on to my promise. Uh, I'm going to make up my mind here and now. Uh, I believe uh, that God will do uh, what he said he would do, uh, so I'm going to keep standing. Uh, I'm going to keep walking by faith. Uh, I'm not going to get turned to one side uh, or another. I'm going to hang on to the promise uh, that God has for me. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 that we inherit the promise of God through faith and patience. We inherit the promise of God through faith and patience. We have to endure. We have to make it. We have to hang on until the end. We have to keep believing in the promise even when everything is against us. We have to have an unshakable confidence in the promise of God when everything that we can see and everything that we can understand, everything that is around us will seek to undermine our assurance that God is going to deliver us. We have to have that confidence. Here's the key. If we can hope for that which we cannot see, then we can remain re faithful to that regardless of what we do see. If we can put our hope in what we don't understand, if we can put our hope in what we can't see with our eyes, then what we can see with our eyes and what we can understand cannot rob us of our hope. Does that make sense? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that are seen, he says, that word temporal means temporary. They're passing away. They're here for a moment. The problem of today seems so real, and it seems so immediate, and it seems so certain. But can I tell you something that I know for a fact? It's going to go away. It's going to change. Tomorrow's problem isn't going to be the same as today's, next week, next month, a year from now. You're not even going to remember what you're going through right now. But the hope that I have, it's eternal. It doesn't change. It's not passing away. Amen. It's not decayed by time. It's not decayed by the corrosion and corruption of this world. I've got a hope that will never pass away. It is eternal. And so Paul said we don't look at what we can see because what we can see will rob us of our confidence. We don't set our faith in things that are tangible, that we can understand, that we can grasp. We put our faith in things that are unseen because they are eternal. 
they don't change. Governments change. The, the economy changes. The culture changes. In some subtle ways, even the church changes. But the hope doesn't change. Amen? The confidence that I have doesn't change. And so the other critical element of hope is that hope involves a sense of certainty. It, it is that it's not just a, a future tense kind of hope. It's a, it's a certain settled thing. We can endure the delay. We can survive the waiting because we have confidence that the promises of God are forever settled in heaven. The word said they are yea and amen. God's going to do what he said he would do. There may be some struggles along the way. There may be some battles along the way. There may be some difficulties along the way. There are going to be some things that challenge my faith. There are going to be some hardships that weaken me. There are going to be some trials that attempt to crush me. But I can endure to the end because I am certain that this is all just temporary. And the promises of God, they are eternal. And if I wait long enough, this is going to pass away. And that is going to come to pass. Amen. This life is a fleeting thing, but eternity is forever. And if I can just hold on, if I can just maintain my hope, if I can just wait with patience, sooner or later, God is going to deliver on his promise. And his promise is eternal. His promise is going to last forever. The tests and the trials of this life, they're going to come to an end. The difficulties are going to pass away. I'm never again going to bear the heavy load of my carnal, sinful nature on that day when he finally calls me out of this world. If I can just hang on. Until that glorious day when he brings the promise to pass, everything's going to change. Amen. David's going to ascend to the throne. He's going to be in that place that God called him to be. Never again will they run. Amen. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hope is based on the future. It's all future tense. I'm reaching for something that I can't see, that I'm not going to obtain yet. It's, it's out there. But God doesn't leave us without a present tense help. Hope may be future tense, but God doesn't leave us without any help where we are right now. Paul says that in the same way that hope helps sustain me through difficult times, likewise, the Spirit also helps us with our infirmities. So not only do we have that future tense hope that, that we hold to, that compels us, that gives us the confidence to make it through the struggles of this life, we also have this help that comes from the Spirit of God. That word helpeth us, that, that, that help word literally means that the Spirit joins with us to help us in the same sense that if I grabbed a hold of the end of one of those pews and started to carry it out of here, amen, somebody could come along on the other side and pick up the other end of the pew and help me because if they don't, I'm going to die about halfway down that aisle. 
Amen. Them things are heavy. Praise God. That's the way the Spirit helps me. It, it, it's not just a, you know, I can stand alone and say, come on, guys, you're doing a good job and encourage you. That's not helping you. It's not just an outside voice of encouragement. When the Spirit helps me, it literally comes alongside of me. It literally gets a hold of the burden with me. It literally helps me bear the weight of the burden that I'm carrying. Amen. It helps me overcome. So the question is, what burden does the Holy Ghost help us bear? Paul said it is the burden that is imposed by our infirmities. Now, the word there literally means weakness. We, infirmity to us means sickness. That's not what that means. It means weakness. It refers to the frailty of the human condition, the infirmities that our flesh thrust upon us. Sometimes we find it difficult to exercise the kind of patience that is willing to wait for the hope to come to pass. We we want to we want to rush things. We want to we want to take matters in our own hands. Sometimes we we lose track of the object of our hope because we become overwhelmed by our present circumstances. Sometimes our human spirit just can't bear up uh, under the strain of the load and when that happens uh, the Holy Ghost uh, rises up within us uh, and it helps us. Uh, it becomes the strength for us. Uh, our hope remains remains unseen. It remains uh, out of reach. It's somewhere in the future and it's out of sight but our, our troubles are immediate. They are, they're right now. They're, they're, they're prominent. They're, they're in our face uh, and our flesh is weak in the sense that sometimes uh, the struggles to bear up that heavy load seem to be more than we can take even with that future tense hope compelling us. That's when the Spirit comes alongside that Holy Ghost that he filled you with, uh, that anointing of God uh, that resides within you. It comes up inside of you and it strengthens you. Uh, it gives you the strength uh, to bear up that heavy load. Uh, it helps us. Oh, I'm thankful for my help. Uh, if it wasn't for my help, uh, I couldn't make it. Uh, if it wasn't for my help, uh, I couldn't bear the load. I've been through some things uh, that would have broken my human spirit. Uh, I've been through some things uh, that would have devastated my faith. Uh, I've been through some things, uh, amen, that would have buried me under a mountain of doubt uh, if it wasn't for that Holy Ghost inside of me that helps me. Amen. Then Paul gives us a specific example of how the Holy Ghost helps us. Sometimes, sometimes we know exactly what we need. Sometimes we know exactly how to pray for our situation. But there are times when we, we don't even know what we need. What we think we need and what we really need are two different things. Uh, there, there are times whenever we don't know what the proper answer should be. We don't even know how to pray. We don't even know how to ask. We don't, we don't even know how to approach the throne of God. We don't even know where to start. 
We don't understand the problem, much less the solution. Well, we're looking at a circumstance that we didn't get here by our own hand. Somebody else put us in this mess. We don't even know what's going on. We don't even understand fully the whole grasp of the situation that's going on in our lives, and we don't even know how to pray about it. Amen? But in those times, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There, there's a deep level of intercessory prayer where the Holy Ghost literally prays through you, where the Spirit of God literally comes up under the burden uh, and begins to lift it off of your shoulders uh, and begins to pray through you, amen, where the Holy Ghost literally begins to give vocalization uh, to a prayer that you don't understand, uh, that you can't grasp, uh, that's beyond the realm of your comprehension. Not all prayer takes place on that level, but there are certainly times when the Spirit of God takes over our prayers and, and prays for things that we do not understand, prays for things that are beyond our grasp, prays for things in a language, groanings and utterings and, and, and tongues that we, 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 we can't comprehend. Sometimes we don't even know what we're praying. We just know we feel the Holy Ghost. Sometimes I, I remember lots of nights my wife's locking herself away in a room and, and for hours or at least for, for, for a long passage of time never speak a single word in English uh, but just praying under a deep travailing of the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of God moves on. No, don't know what I'm praying about. Don't know what's going on. Don't understand it. Just feel a heavy, heavy burden uh, and there's weeping there and there's tears there. I don't even know know what I'm crying about. I, I just know I feel the Holy Ghost uh, moving through me. I just know I feel the Holy Ghost flowing through my life. Uh, amen. I feel like God uh, is doing something. Uh, I can't understand it. Uh, I can't comprehend it. Uh, but the Spirit comes alongside and begins to lift up under that heavy load and begins to make intercession. Amen. That, that Spirit praying through us can include praying in tongues for for long lengths of time. Sometimes it means groaning and, and uttering. Some things can't even be spoken. Sometimes you can pray silently. I mean, not, not that you're just sitting in the church house quietly praying. Sometimes you get to the place where the dotting where words just won't do it. Where, where you're in the presence of God and God's moving and there's something there that, and you can't even find the words and the Holy Ghost just begins to pray in, in an unutterable way. Amen. It can include praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15 describes speaking in tongues as praying in the Spirit. It can also include those groans and sighs that are never really vocalized in any kind of language. It is a prayer that makes no sense at all in this present world, but is clearly heard and understood. In heaven. Amen. Now this is where I want to. I want to really stop for a minute. And drill down. Because the underlying assumption here. Is that we pray. More than just. Now I lay me down to sleep. Or Lord bless my food. Or, or Lord bless this service. Paul is talking about the depths of a personal prayer life. 
Can I tell you that everybody needs a personal prayer life? And if you'll notice, Paul includes himself in this. He says, for sometimes we don't know what to pray. That means there were times the apostle Paul didn't know what to pray. But that the Spirit makes intercession for us. He includes himself in it. What, what this passage tells me is that there is an assistance that is provided to us through the indwelling Spirit of God that is made manifest in our lives through prayer. And if you don't pray, if you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a place and a time of prayer in your life, then you're neglecting the help of heaven. You're neglecting the assistance that the Spirit would give to you. If you don't pray, then you are needlessly struggling on your own to bear a burden that you were not meant to bear alone. If you don't pray, you'd be like me grabbing a hold of that, that pew and refusing to let anybody else help me as I try to move it out of this auditorium. How foolish would that be with all these big strong men standing around and, and me lugging and tugging and pulling and straining. Amen. That's the way it is when you try to live your life without prayer. The Holy Ghost helps you. In your weakness, the Holy Ghost, it, it gives you assistance. Uh, it gives you strength. Uh, it comes alongside of you. Uh, there, there are things that you understand that you need, but there are things that you don't understand that you don't even know that you need. And the Holy Ghost comes alongside of you and blesses you and strengthens you and encourages you in those times. But if you don't pray, you don't have access to that. You're trying to do something in your flesh. You're trying to accomplish something in and of yourself that can only be accomplished in the Spirit. That can only be done by the Holy Ghost partnering with you, working in your life, coming together, joining with you. Here's the truth. If we want to be a revival church, if we want to be that kind of church, where the supernatural takes place. If we want to be that kind of church where lives are changed, where chains and bondage of sin are broken, where addictions are, 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 are broken off of people, where marriages are put back together again, where lives are made right again. If we want to be the kind of church where, where sin that walks through that door immediately feels the conviction of the presence of God. If we want to be that kind of church, uh, amen, where lives are forever transformed uh, in the anointing and power and presence of God, then we have to know how to pray we have to be a church that prays because there are some things that we don't even know that we need to pray for there are some things that our carnal finite human minds can't even begin to comprehend that we need and unless we have a regular strong 
prayer life, the Spirit cannot make intercession for us in those things because we're not praying. But if we pray, if we spend time in His presence, if we pray until we're lost, let me tell you something. There, there's prayer and then there's prayer. There's my Christmas wish list. Lord, do this and do that and do that. And then, you know, I've got a list. I've got a prayer list. I fervently believe in prayer lists. But prayer is more than my prayer list. There's a place in prayer where I get lost in the Spirit of God, where I get shut away with Him, and I find myself, Brother Donnie, praying about things that are not on my list, that I never even thought about, as the Spirit of God begins to move and begins to make intercession in my life. I I can't see everything. I don't know everything that needs to happen. I'm the pastor of this church, and I've got a prayer list that has your name on it. It's on my iPad every single morning. It's there. It's a checklist. When I pray for you, I I put my finger on it, and it checks it off, and it goes away, and tomorrow morning it'll be there again. And I can pray for you every single day, but I, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. There are things that you have hidden from me that I can't see, that I I don't understand, that I don't know about, but the Spirit knows. And if I can let the Holy Ghost, there are times when the the Spirit begins to pray and begins to work. And I don't even know why I'm calling your name. I don't even know why I'm talking about your family. I don't even know why I'm carrying you before the throne. But God knows, and that's all that matters. There's a place of prayer where the Holy Ghost takes over and the Spirit begins to intercede on our behalf and begins to address things that are beyond our comprehension. When we allow the Spirit to pray through us, it addresses those human weaknesses, those frailties and infirmities of the flesh that have been hidden away. Here's the key to a breakthrough in the church. Here's the key to the kind of revival that we dream of, that we talk about, that we've heard about all of our lives. It's in our prayer life. We sometimes waste our time praying for revival. We need to be praying that God would do some things in us that makes a way for revival to happen. And we'll never figure out what it is we need to pray until we learn to pray in that place where the Holy Ghost moves through us and the Spirit of God makes intercession on our behalf. It's, it's, it's somewhat of a cliche, but it's absolutely true. A prayerless church will always be a powerless church. A church that doesn't pray will be a church that goes through the motions, that expends all kinds of energy and effort in getting everything just right, making sure we've got, we got, we got the, the sermon is just right, the, the, the service outline and layout and order of service is just so-so, the, the praise singers all know where to sing and how to get on key and the music is all queued up and, and it is, it's intricately designed to fit together and it works and it's good and it's been practiced and there's harmony and the, the sound man knows just what to put on the screens and the people know just, we, can, we can have it all down to a science, but if we don't pray, if we don't have the anointing of God, 
God if we don't have that abiding presence of God. It'll be a church where everything is right, but the power, that dynamic, powerful demonstration of the Spirit of God is missing. We can learn to be professionals. We can learn to go through the motions. We can learn to look Pentecostal. We can make it so that anybody who walks through that door would never know, amen, that, that we're not absolutely professional. We're the best at what we do, amen. We seem to have it all together. But if we don't pray, amen, if we don't touch the throne room of God, if we don't spend time in the presence of God, if we don't let the Spirit help us, our efforts will never set anybody free. Our, our, the best of our singing, the best of our playing, the best of our preaching, the best of our media, the best of everything we had to offer will not deliver one person from the bondage of sin. It takes the Spirit that helps us. It takes the anointing of the Holy Ghost that comes over us. That's the kind of church that I want to have. Amen. I once heard the story of a minister, and I'm, I'm coming to a close, that was invited to visit an army training camp during World War II. It was very early in the morning when he visited the base. And though the dew was wet and heavy on the grass, the training was already underway. And he saw a particular group of soldiers sitting in the heavy weeds listening intently to an instructor as he lectured them on the best way to advance against the enemy under fire. And that small party of observers stopped and they listened as this soldier, this officer, began to tell them the best way to advance. And then a group of veteran soldiers who were just back from the front began to demonstrate what the instructor was talking about. And on their hands and their knees, hugging the wet, cold ground in a posture that rendered them nearly invisible in the dawn's early light, those soldiers slowly crawled through the weeds. And after watching that for just a moment, the officer turned back to that group of raw recruits, and this is what he said. If you advance... On your knees, you will always be victorious. If you advance on your knees, you're going to get the victory. I believe that rings true in this house this morning. The key to be an overcoming church, the key to be an apostolic church, the key to having victory in your personal life is advancing on your knees. Amen. It's going forward in prayer. I believe this morning that we need to join our voice with the disciples and pray a simple prayer. Lord, teach us. Don't teach us how to preach. Don't teach us how to sing. Don't teach us how to play. Don't teach us how to do our other jobs. Don't teach us how to be the best at whatever. We Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to advance on our knees. Help us to recognize. Listen, God doesn't, avoid, uh, God doesn't anoint means and methods. God anoints men and women who pray.
God, God, you know, sometimes we, we sing new songs and sometimes we sing old songs. Sometimes we do new style music and sometimes we do old style music. Sometimes we have 10, 10 o'clock service. Sometimes we have 2 o'clock service. Sometimes we have one service. Sometimes we have two services. Sometimes we have a meal and sometimes we don't. God doesn't care about all the means. God can move through a church that will pray. He can move in a 10 o'clock service just like he moves in a 2 o'clock service. He can move in a 2 o'clock service just like he moves in a 6 o'clock service. He can move on Saturday if we decide, if, if, if it so happened that we had to have church. Uh, this building was destroyed by a storm and we had to have church in somebody else's church building. So we had to have it on Saturday instead of Sunday. Guess what? That's not going to stop God one little bit huh? because God doesn't move through buildings. Uh, God doesn't move through structure. God doesn't move through technology. He doesn't move through all the stuff that... God moves through men and women who pray. And men and women who pray can have church anywhere, under any conditions, under any circumstances. Men and women who pray can see revival under brush arbors. Amen? If we pray. Would you stand with me? It is the Spirit that helps us to realize the best approach to things. It's the Spirit that helps us to, to say the right words. It's the Spirit. You know, there, there are moments in a Sunday night service where the service could go either way, where you can feel the unction and the anointing, the Holy Ghost moving, and the person in the pulpit can, could, could continue preaching, or, or they could stop and let the Holy Ghost work. And it's the Spirit that makes the difference there. It's that sensitivity to the anointing of God. It's that being tuned in to the presence of God. That's what we need more than we need anything else. It's a spirit that helps us, that makes intercession for us, that rises up within us and acts on our behalf. That's what we need. A spirit-filled church that lets the Holy Ghost operate through us. One man said it this way. He said the only way to learn to enjoy reading the Bible is to read it. And the only way to learn how to pray is to pray. Because the less you read your Bible, the less you'll want to read it. And the less you pray, the less you'll desire to spend time in prayer. But the converse is true. The more you read your Bible, the more you develop a desire to read the Bible. And the more you pray, the more time you spend in His presence, the more time you find your way into the throne room of God where you get lost and time doesn't matter anymore. The more time that you push your way into that place where the Holy Ghost just flows and the anointing of God covers you and you don't even want to leave, the more time you spend in that place, the more of an appetite you'll have to pray. I'm going to ask this church this morning. I know it's Sunday morning. I know it's different. But I'm going to ask this church this morning to find a place of prayer. Let's ask the Lord teach us. Teach us to pray.